for gracing us with your precious Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for it. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. Lord, we thank you in advance for every miracle, every healing, every sign, every wonder. Lord, we thank you for every breakthrough. God, we thank you for a church that is absolutely changing the world from right here in Garland, Texas. We thank you for a pastor and a congregation that love you and seek after your precious Holy Spirit. And we thank you and we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Can you give Jesus a hand clap of praise tonight? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Always am. This, is, uh, this feels like a second home to us. And uh, we sure love you guys. We sure love your pastors. Uh, Pastor Scott and Sandy are just two of the most precious people on this planet. And we're thankful for them and, and uh, the whole church family. But uh, the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. Could you just put your hands together and thank God for uh, Pastor uh, Scott and Sandy. Amen. We love you guys. Honor you. And just, uh, just real quick, just a couple big, big, big updates. Uh, many of you know this year, God asked us to do some really hard things during a pandemic. Um, he asked us, to, number one, he told us to build our ministry building. Uh, we call it the warehouse. That's the best name for it, just simply because uh, that's mostly what it's being used for. Um, we have, uh, most of you know, we have 20 years worth of church records that we have to keep. We have to keep them forever. If I've ever sat down with anybody and ever counseled anybody, I have to keep that. Um, legally, just, you know, that's what we're required to do uh, forever. And so um, we have that, plus we have PA equipment, and uh, oh, good grief, we have a full church, <laughs> you know, uh, that we've been renting space for for about five years. And um, uh, so the Lord put it on our hearts to build that building and build an office there on our property. And so uh, just this last week, our building went up. And so we're so excited about that, but we did it and paid cash for it. Amen. We didn't have to borrow a dime. Amen. We had people come in, lay our foundation, and put our building up. And so we're really excited about that. And then the other thing Lord challenged us to do was, you know, of all the times in history uh, to, to go start a television ministry, we started our television ministry. Now, we've been on TV in some way, oh my goodness, since like 2000, 2002, I think. Um, not, maybe not national, but... but we, uh, we were on in some way. And so um, this year, uh, we went on the Daily Gospel Network, and that was we knew that was a starting place, and we knew that would lead to some other opportunities, and it has. Uh, this past week, I was on a, a station. I don't remember the call letters, but it was in uh, 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 St. Louis, Missouri, and we've got to, I don't know how many thousands of people we got to preach to. I was invited to come in on a telethon, but then they brought me in, and they, they're putting our program on their station, and then last Sunday, we uh, aired our very first station in Pakistan, our very first service in Pakistan. Amen. Now, that might not seem like much, but we are preaching to a Muslim nation. Amen. So Hungary, Pakistan, all of that area there uh, that, that, uh, that is being reached for the gospel. Now, uh, our daily gospel, potentially, I think 250 million people around the world can watch it there. Realistic American numbers, 50 million potential viewers. Now, you know, I'll be honest with you. I know we're not getting that right now. We've got a primetime spot, but we will eventually. But in Pakistan, of all the places in the world, Pastor, 75,000 people watched our first program. Amen. So, and now again, uh, you know, this, this might not seem like much because, you know, you think out of 75,000, you know, mostly people watching, um, watching Christian television are already saved, right? But of that 75,000, we had six Pakistanis people give their heart to Jesus. 
who called in and verified that they gave their heart to the Lord after watching our program. So we're very excited about what God's doing. We thank you for churches just like this that are helping us do that. Without you, we couldn't do what we're doing. Amen? And uh, so in, in a churches like this, pastors like yours, uh, you know, I wish I had a hundred churches just like this. I would never go to another one, you know, <laughs> because uh, th- this, is just, this is just a good niche, uh, and, and we just fit here, and we, we uh, have the same vision as your pastor. Maybe it's a little different because just because uh, our ministries are a little different, but we're going the same direction, I love that. And so please continue to pray for us. Uh, thank you. You know, we got so many friends and partners that, that have supported us. Amen. You helped us do that. Amen. And without you, we couldn't have done it. So we thank you so much. Uh, tonight, I want to preach you a message. And, um, you know, I always pray about, you know, what I'm going to preach, of course. And I always pray about who I'm preaching to. Because, you know, I might go into a church one week where, you know, it's, uh, just be honest with you, it's mostly African-American, and they're going to jump and scream and shout, and that's how they have church, you know. I might go into a, a living room another week and, and just be able to stand up and talk a little bit. Uh, then I might be, you know, like, like last week when I was in St. Louis, just standing in front of a camera, you know, preaching, you know, to the world. You know, you just never know. But as I was praying today, I really thought I had a message for tonight, and then the Lord kind <clears> of... <throat> rearrange things on me, which is always okay, but he said, this is what I want you to tell them. So what I'm sharing with you tonight is something that I believe the Lord wants you to hear for many reasons, and, and so if you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew, um, I'm going to read um, Matthew 13. I'm going to talk to you tonight, and maybe I'll t- teach, preach a little bit if that's okay, but I want to talk to you about the dangers of eating tares, and you know, I'm going to be honest, when I, when I heard, this, heard this thought, a good friend of mine, Dr. James Payne, Dr. James Payne is on the Love Network, uh, he's with Benny Hinn all the time, uh, he travels, uh, travels the world, uh, I forget what the Love Network is called in Africa, but he's on that all the time, but uh, he, uh, he has the greatest revelation on the seed, just the seed, that I've ever heard in my life. And I've known Dr. Payne for years and years. I was in Des Moines, Iowa in 2016, and we, we were what turned into a month of revival. And I was um, going through some, uh, some old videos and found a current video of Dr. James with Benny Hinn sharing a revelation that God gave him on the seed, just the simplicity of a little, of a little seed. And so... Um, what I'm sharing with you tonight, he very much provoked the thoughts that I'm going to share with you, uh, not so much on seed time and harvest, but it never occurred to me the dangers of eating a tear. You know, we hear about, we hear about the, we know we have the wheat and we have the tares. We know they look very, very parallel, but it never occurred to me that we could eat a tear. Never, I never thought of that. And so when that thought occurred to me, it really changed my thinking about the scriptures. So, so you know that when Jesus was talking to, Jesus was talking to uh, uh, his people, he was talking predominantly to farmers, right? So Jesus, all throughout the scripture, he uses seed time and harvest. <coughs> he, use, uh, he uses seeds and the ground and planting over and over and over again to talk to people and, and so that they could understand that. That is a vernacular that they can understand. And so, <clears throat> the same with the Father. <clears throat> Jesus talks about 
God the Father as his heavenly Father, which is a very, we understand that. Every one of us have a father, whether we have a good relationship, bad relationship. You are a father. You have a father. You will be a father. You have a relationship with a father. And once again, you know, I grew up with a single mom, but I, I had a good understanding of what I wanted a father to be, you know what I'm saying? And so I can understand that. Uh, just, just real quick, I've got a real quick sidebar. Uh, about a, uh, a few weeks ago, I've got a, I had an old pickup truck that I was going to sell. So I put it on, oh, I think I put it on Facebook Marketplace and put it on Craigslist and uh, was trying to sell it. And I was home, I, you know, I scheduled, you know, this transaction for while I'd be home for a few days. And uh, I don't remember, I think I was home the whole weekend. I was home the whole weekend. And Saturday afternoon, this guy calls me and asks me if he can come and uh, look, take a look at this truck. And, it, you know, he seemed very motivated to buy it. You know, and I'll be honest, it's a, you know, I had it priced at a good price. Right now, most of you know, because of the economy and problems with getting parts for new cars, uh, used car prices went up. So it was a good time for me to sell this thing. And so um, this guy tells me, you know, he's got money and he wants to come. And, man, he had this radio voice. You know, he just had a voice about him that, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm thinking he reminded me of... Uh, Dr. Payne or Walt Mills or some of the radio guys that you might hear and think of through the years, you just had this radio voice. And I won't get into the intricate details of this conversation because I never do in the pulpit. But, you know, religion is very ugly. If Jesus ever combated anything, he combated religion. And religion always says, you're wrong and I'm right. And inclusiveness and just, uh, it never works. When it's just your thing and nobody else's thing, that does not work. It never works. Um, and so, long story short, I got a, this guy comes and wants to take the truck for a drive. And, and this is a very dangerous question for me. Pastor, I don't know how you deal with this. Um, with me, it's just a little different. I know how I dealt with it as a pastor. But the first thing people like to ask you is, what do you do for a living? Uh, that's a complicated question for me. Because most people have no understanding of what I do at all. You know, I mean, they just, they, this, it's, it's, they can't comprehend it. And so um, I, I said, well, I'm a, I said, actually, I'm a traveling minister. And I said, I, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm on the road most weekends. I said, I've got this weekend scheduled off because we have some home things going on. I said, but, and, and he goes into, well, what do you preach? You know, and right away, I knew I was in trouble. You know, I knew, I knew I, I, was, I was in trouble. And so um, this guy, <clears throat> excuse me, this guy has, um, has a very particular view about, I, I just, you know, I'm just, I'll just tell you, just particular view about baptism. And uh, he is right, and every, and I don't get into that. I, I you know, I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to argue with you. You know, if you are that adamant, I'm not changing your thought, okay? My question is, do you know Jesus, okay? After that, I'm going to turn you over to pastor. <laughs> Come on. See, I know, <laughs> I know my place. 
I am not a pastor. Um, I just, you know, I, I say this and my wife gets mad at me. I don't think I was ever really a great pastor because I know my gifts are not very pastoral. I'm more prophetic apostolic. I had a conversation with a young man last week. My, it went very apostolic in that conversation. Apostolic is we just cut off your head, we leave you there to bleed, and we walk away. <laughs> That's the, that's, that's the way, you know, that's what Joshua did, you know. Um, that, that's what Jesus did. Do my words offend you? And uh, what, 90% of the congregation walked away in one day, you know. Uh, and everybody, <clears throat> everybody loves the idea of telling it like it is until we tell it like it is, you know. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to pastor this guy. And I just told him, I said, I said you know what? I said, you believe what you want. I said, that's going to have to be between you and Jesus. I am not your pastor. And I said, so I'm not going to argue about this, uh, what you're thinking. I said, you know, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I said, there's a lot to back up what you're saying. But I'm just not going to fight with you about it, whether I agree or not. So at the end of the conversation, he just laid into me, man. He would not let it go. And so I just told him, I said, Bub, I said, let me just tell you this. I said, right down the road here is a gas station that's got 10 people working at it. There's a grocery store over here with another 5, 10 people working at it. I said, while you're sitting here and you want to argue about this trivial thing, those people are going to die and go to hell because you're more interested in being right than you are reaching those people for Jesus. I told you. See, nobody wants to, nobody wants to have a real conversation because that's the truth. And he just looked at me for a minute. And I said, so you're sitting there, and you don't even know what I believe, but you want to tell me I'm going to hell because I believe different from you? I said, that is the most arrogant thing I've ever heard in my life. He didn't buy the truck. <laughs> you know, pastor, there was a point I tried to be nice for as long as I could because I thought maybe he would at least buy the truck. But then there was just the moment when we had to let her rip, Tater Chip, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to, this guy, I'll just, I'm going to be, be real with you. He was full gospel Pentecostal. I'll tell you that. I won't tell you his thinkings, okay? And I won't tell you he was wrong. I didn't tell him he was wrong. He was, he was just so adamant about he was right that it made him wrong. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, a couple of years ago, I went to get my hair cut. And I walked in this barber shop. And uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this straight up because, uh, you know, this ain't trivial to me. He said, uh, this guy, he was a once saved, always saved, die hard Baptist. And uh, I'm sitting there in my chair, in the chair, and he's cutting my hair, and he wants to get into it. And I said, now listen, I said, and I, I won't make no bones about this. I said, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I said, you can't tell me when somebody was five years old gluing macaroni to a cross in a daycare at a church and they said a prayer that they had no idea what they were saying, that covers them until the day they die. I said, I just beg to differ with that. And of course, he wasn't happy about that. You know, and I didn't want, well, now I'm, this, I'm in a bad situation because I don't want a bad haircut. You know what I'm saying? Because I could walk out of there I'll just say, you know, not looking my best. And so he would not let it go, would not let it go. Now, this is what I found. I'm sitting there in my truck, and I instantly go back to that conversation. Pastor, it was the same conversation, different subject. And this is what that guy actually told me this. We have some experience in this because we have some family that believes this way. I'm going to hell. That's what he told me. You know Why? Because I don't believe like him. That, see, that never wins people to Jesus, okay? 
And uh, one of the things that this man said to me, he said that, God, do you really, he said, do you think God's a man? You know, and I said, well, Jesus was a man, you know. And he says, well, do you think the Father's just a man walking around? You know, and those are loaded questions. You know, and I said, do you think in our, in our, in our simple, simple thinking of mankind could even come up with a thought that comes close to who God really is other than love? And, uh, you know, of course, once again, they have no, no thought for that. But his, his thing was this. His thing was from, um, and, and all of them do this. Hear me. Religion is the same. I talked to somebody from a denomination, won't name it, who don't believe in music in the church. Same thinking. They said they believe acts forward. <laughs> That's their thing. Acts forward. I said, so you don't believe in the whole New Testament? Oh, no, we believe in acts forward. This is so what Jesus said. So like when Jesus called up the minstrel, you know, that's wrong. He said, well, we just go acts forward. And these guys, they all have the same argument, different ways of thinking. But see, I'm giving you just a tidbit to help you discern religion because there's no, there's no winning those arguments. You just need to pray for those people and love them and go on. But I said that because it's the same thing. Jesus spoke of his heavenly father so that we could relate to being a father, right? And so right here in Matthew 13, Jesus is addressing farmers, and he's talking to them about farming because they can relate to farming. And so uh, let me read this first passage of Scripture. We'll talk about this, and we'll go to the next part. Uh, Matthew 13, going to start reading verse 3. It says, Behold, a sower went out, and he sowed. And when he sowed, the seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowl, they devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no depthness of earth. And when the sun was up, they scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell amongst thorns, and thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some hundred, sixty-fold, and some thirty-fold. So the Bible says, and these are some important things here about this scripture. It says a sower went out, and what did the sower do? He sowed. Why? That's what a sower does. That's, that's their job. Now, I'm going to tell you, I am the, I, I'm not speaking negative. I'm not trying to speak bad of myself, but somewhere along the way, I am the worst. I don't know, you know, what you would call it, because, uh, but I can't grow anything. They said, you know, you got a green thumb, I have a black thumb. I can't grow anything. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't grow good weeds, you know, and so, uh, we went out, pastor, we went out, and I had a big spot, like 25 by 25, going to grow a nice big garden. I went and I got me a tiller. I tilled the ground. I went and I put fertilizer in the ground. I, I did it by the book, you know what I'm saying, what it said to do. I went through, and I, I, I planted seeds. Me and my sugar booger got out there, and we put a hole in the ground, and we dropped the seed in, and we covered it up. Then we went to another part of it, and we got had the right amount of sun. Everything was right. For whatever reason, our soil just, it lacks nutrition. And so to grow anything, we got to bring dirt in in order to grow anything. It's the truth. My neighbor, you know, I talked to some neighbors. And so anyway, long story short, we go out there and uh, uh, stuff starts sprouting up a little bit and the rain comes in, washes everything away. Absolutely everything. We go out there. I'm out there in a thunderstorm trying to stake a tomato plant to save this wilted, dying, yellow little tomato plant. I remember our, we always give our first harvest away. I gave my first dozen eggs away. We gave away uh, you know, our, first, uh, our first goat, our first baby sheep. 
Uh, we always give our first fruits away. And so we always give away. I was so embarrassed by that one little tiny tomato. It's supposed to be a beef steak tomato. It was about that big. And it had a cucumber. The cucumber was about the same size. It looked like we were little people food or something. It looked like something out of a fairy tale, you know. I was so embarrassed. You know, I, I thought, who could I give this? God, who would take this, you know? So, um, so this true story, and, and so I, I was disgusted. We planted, we planted more than once. We went out there, and we did it all again. I was just done with it, you know. Down the road from me, same region, same weather, same dirt that I have in my house. I go down. They got this produce stand out in front of their house. I mean, nice, nice heated, air-conditioned building, big side, fresh produce. I'm like, where'd they get that? Surely they came down here to Texas and loaded it up and took it to Arkansas because I know they didn't grow it in their garden. So I go over there and uh, I go in. They got all these big old fat watermelons. We, we, did, we, didn't, get a, we didn't get a watermelon blossom. <laughs> big old zucchini and squash. I love zucchini and squash and all that stuff. They got it everywhere. I went and asked Ellie, I said, where'd you get these vegetables? She looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, where'd you get them? She said, right out there in my garden. She points to her garden. It's got stuff in the garden, Pastor. And I said, you grew that. She, said, she laughed. She said, yeah, why? I said, I tried growing stuff that didn't work. <laughs> I said, did you guys get rain? Oh, we got all kinds of rain. It washed everything away. And I said, really? I said, yeah, I did that to us too. She said, in fact, it washed everything away three times. And she said, but I planted again. She planted again. See, there becomes a weariness and a discouragement in planting. But don't ever get weary in your sowing. Don't ever get weary. I know when you're planting churches and when you're sowing into people and when you're giving of your life and your finances and so much, there's a weariness that'll settle in. But don't get weary in well-doing, right? Because you know there is a day when you're going to get a harvest. Now, I told that story because of this. So last year, we didn't even try a garden. This year, we tried some uh, above-ground Above ground beds, they didn't work either. Went out there, got some late cucumbers that were like this big. They, they done went bad. You know, I don't know where they, I don't even know where they were growing. So we, we had, you know, we had goats. We had goats out there. Pastor UK, you've seen our goats, right? So, you know, that first little field right there, we, you know, last summer, 365 days ago, we went out there, and one of the things that helps uh, keep your goats healthy is pumpkins. So we took pumpkins out there, and we gave them pumpkins. We also, we gave them watermelons. And so uh, we sold all of our goats. You know, our, our land is just, you know, just uh, our land doesn't do good for animals like that. So we do better with sheep or, you know, another, uh, just a little harder, harder-footed animal, a little hardier. And so we got rid of our goats. And so I got the tractor, and I'm out here brush hogging all these fields, you know. And so I get to the, that field right there, Pastor, where we fed the goats and stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm going through there, and I hear a thump. I thought, what in the world? I hop out. I thought I hit an animal or something. And I looked, and under that brush hawk was the fattest old watermelon you could ever imagine. I'm, I'm it huge. I mean, big old watermelon. And, uh, and I'm looking at that, and I thought, where did that come from? <laughs> I got to look around pasture. I found a row of, t- of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, watermelons. Found a row of pumpkins. Had no idea they was out there growing. No idea. And I, I tell you what I did, that watermelon was so bright red. I just went over there and I dusted the top of it off. 
And I just sat there right there in the middle of that old field and ate that old watermelon all by myself. Didn't tell my wife about it. <laughs> then I went and I picked, picked, all my, picked all the fruit and stuff there was that I could find. Because it was so weeded up, you know, I couldn't find the stuff. I really had to dig through it. So I get it. I, I don't know what we ended up with, six or seven watermelons, the same pumpkins that and I took them inside. I said, you know, I can believe this. I said, look at this. I found all this stuff out in the field over here, just laying there. See, don't give up on your harvest. See, because you don't always reap in the same place that you sowed. Because I was reaping a harvest, and I had no, see, I just, I just throwing stuff out there, you know, and God was just doing the rest, you know. And so, so I said all that so that, well, I just feel the Holy Ghost on that statement, you know. So don't get weary, don't get weary in well-doing. And this is what the Bible says, the sower sowed. The sower sowed. What does a sower do? A sower sows. It doesn't matter what's going on. doesn't matter what the weather is like. A sower is going to sow. He's going to plant, right? And uh, a seed is going to do what a seed is going to do. If you get the right seed in the right ground, it's going to grow, right? I mean, you know, again, I, you know, for my limited knowledge of trying to grow stuff, you learn as you go, right? And so, uh, you know, they tell us if we put a seed in the ground, you know that seed begins to vibrate when it goes into the ground? Did you know that? It literally vibrates until something begins to burst out of it. And then it begins to produce something that wasn't even existence before. I love this statement. It says, you can count the seeds in an apple, but you will never count the apples in a seed. Because a seed is the most powerful thing on this planet. Every one of us are here because of a seed. We are in the kingdom of God because of a seed. And the Bible said that a sower went out and sowed the seed, right? So in this scripture, what happened to the seed? Some of it fell on thorny ground. Some of it fell on shallow ground and it didn't produce anything. But at the end of the day, there was nothing wrong with the sower and there was nothing wrong with the seed. See, many times we start looking at our life and we start saying, what did I do to mess this up? How did I foul this up? What's the problem? It's not you. Sometimes it's just the ground. Sometimes it's the atmosphere. Sometimes it's a mindset that we got to get rid of. Some, you know, I tell you what, I have sowed into some bad ground in my lifetime. I have sowed into some people that backbited, that lied, that connived, that stole. I remember, uh, I'm trying to think what year it was. It had to have been 2010, 2011. Uh, I was just getting ready to leave for a long, long series of revivals. I was still pastoring. And somebody got, came into our church in the middle of the night uh, during, a, during an evening service, stayed in the church all night long, because they had come to the church, they had knowledge of where the where, where monies were and things like we had it hid. It was locked up. There wasn't access to it. But because they had come to the church prior to, prior to, <clears throat> they knew where this stuff was. They came in in the night, and they took all of the cash. We had a big uh, fundraising jar we were doing for our kids to go to camp. Took the change. For the kids to go to camp, they didn't take any of the checks. You know, they, they did, they left the checks. But any cash that we have, it was so weird, we couldn't, we couldn't turn it into insurance because we had just uh, changed insurance companies and it was all complicated. And uh, come to find out, it was somebody that we knew and that we had helped and that we had loved. What did we do? Do I regret that seed? Absolutely not. I would show it over and over and over again because at the end of the day, we're trying to help people. 
And sometimes the soil just doesn't do what we want it to do, right? The seed was good. The sower was good. It was the ground that it went in that started acting up, right? That's something we got to get in our spirit. It said, behold, a sower went forth. I just want you to know that, uh, that, that there is no such thing as a bad seed. If you give it with the right heart, then it is a good seed planted into the life of somebody else. Now, tonight we're talking about tares, and uh, we're going to go over here to this. Let me read this next passage of Scripture to you. And it says, uh, Matthew 13, just flip over a page to verse 24. It says, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed. Hear this? The man sowed a good seed in his field. But when he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. And when the blades were strung up and brought forth fruit and appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then has it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou go and gather them up? And he said, No, lest ye gather up the tares, ye also uproot the wheat. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will gather to the, reaper, uh, to the reapers. Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Uh, I could say so much about the scripture. First of all, it says that he sowed a good seed, right? But an enemy came and started sowing tares. An enemy came in, so let's, uh, let's, let's just kind of make this real. The enemy will come in and start t- talking to you about your church. Well, I don't like how they do that. I don't like that pastor's haircut. I don't like, I don't like the car that they drive. I don't like Saturday church. And they, they start sowing tares. Good seed, good sower. But the enemy comes in. See, and this is, what, this is what we think. We think people are enemy. The Bible says we deal not wrestle not with flesh and blood, but powers, principalities of the air. We're not fighting people. We're fighting the enemy. And can I tell you what? You can be prayed up, fasted up, do everything you want to do. You can be good and do all good things, but the enemy is going to come and try and stop what you're doing because that's what an enemy does. My little, uh, my little Emmy, Emmy is, uh, what is she? She's about 18 months old. And she is, she's my sugar muffin now. And yesterday, yesterday I, had a, I was supposed to be gone yesterday, and I had a schedule change. And so um, I was home yesterday. So yesterday morning, I went and met my son. I don't get to see my, my kids very often because we are on polar opposite schedules. So maybe once a month I get to see my kids. And uh, so I called my son and said, hey, let's go have breakfast. So we went and had breakfast. Well, little Emmy came home with Pop Pops. And boy, I had a day yesterday. I'm telling you, I know why you have kids when they're young, when you're young now. You know, and not that I'm old. It's just I'm too old for baby, I guess. And um, that, that kid ran me ragged. Oh, my goodness. And so uh, she would jump up on my lap, and she would, she would, she's got this thing. I love you. I love you, Emmy. I love you. Until she is screaming at me. I love you. And I have to say it back with the same fervor that she said it, or she's going to yell at me, you know. And I'll tell you what, that little booger, she loves me. She was sitting there, and all of a sudden she re- reached up. And she grabbed me by the hair and pulled my hair. And I looked at her. Who taught her that? Who taught her that? I, I looked. I said, who taught you that? She looked at me. Who 
taught you that? See, you don't have to teach that behavior. It's the enemy that teaches that behavior. I watched her, she, and she, she, is, she gets and she got in trouble. You know, I didn't, pop-ups don't whoop, whoop them kids no more, you know. Um, but she got a real firm looking at, you know what I'm saying? And um, she, a uh, little Scarlet, when she got off the school bus, she came to the house. And she comes in there, and she got mad at her, and she grabbed her, and she grabbed her by the arm and opened her mouth and pulled that arm. And I knew, her, I, was, I knew where that arm was going. You know, she wasn't kissing her. You know, she's going to bite her. Who taught her that? Nobody taught her that. But see, the enemy comes, and the enemy sows seeds, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's just, that's just that's, that's, I think that's a good example of, you know, who teaches bad behavior. And the enemy comes, and the enemy puts that stuff in there to try to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, I'm not saying, you know, you understand what I'm saying. I'm just making a slight, um, a, a, a small example of it. But the Bible says, and while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and then went his way. See, we have to recognize the enemy will come in and ruin your life and then don't care. Come in and sow seeds of discord. You know, the Bible says God hates those who sow seeds of discord, Right? That's not just something we should take lightly. You know, there, there's all, the scripture tells us if you've got alt with somebody, go to them, talk to them, right? But don't sow seeds of discord. If you don't understand something, get some clarity. Get some clarification. And so, but the Bible says that he sowed tares and then went his way. He came in and made a mess that the farmer had to clean up and all the workers had to clean up, but then they just went their way. And you know what they did? They went down to the next field and they sowed tares in the next field and then didn't care and then they had just gone again. And then they went to the next field because that's how the enemy works. The enemy doesn't care about relationship. He doesn't care about helping people. He just wants to go in and cause as much trouble as he can and then just goes his way. See, we have got to recognize that the enemy will bring people into our life that will just wreak havoc. But there has got to be the moment when we just rise up and say, I'm not going to allow this anymore. We have got to start learning to discern toxic people in our lives. I'm going to tell you a story. And I don't share this very often um, because I've been put in this situation more than once. And I don't like to be asked. I'll be honest, you know. Uh, Pastor Scott will always ask me, How's, you know, do you feel anything? Is God telling you anything about the direction of the church or anything? Always ask me that. Now, whenever I come in, I start asking God, all right, God, if I got, do I need to tell Pastor something? You know, I believe I could be 100% honest with him and it not matter. But that's not the truth everywhere. You know, because some people like the idea of knowing what's going on, but it's better just to ignore it. But the mountain that we ignore is the one that will fall on us and destroy us if we're not careful. So I went to this church, and there was this woman sitting, sitting in the middle of the church. You know, and she just had, she had this scowl. You know, she just had this scowl the whole time. And, then, and, and the Lord spoke to me and said, that woman's a Jezebel. I'm a young preacher, and she, it, she had nothing to do with my preaching I don't care if people respond to me or not. Of course, everybody wants people to jump and shout and run the aisles and do cartwheels and, you know, scream. And, yeah, you know what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, I just, you know, it, it, I'm indifferent. And the whole time that woman's watching me. And uh, just kind of, I don't know, she, I, she, I, I, it didn't take no discernment to know she didn't like me. So at the, uh, at the end of the service, you know, I'm like, God, do I tell the pastor? How do, you, how do I handle this? You know, because, I mean, I didn't want to be the gift of suspicion. You know, I didn't have any foundation for this. I only had what I felt in my heart. 
and her reaction to the word of God. So at the end of the services, at the end of the week, pastor of all the people in the church, this woman brings me the check. So not only is she somebody in the church, but she's, she's running the church office. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, you've got to help me. You know, and so I'm waiting for the opportunity. I'm just going to be honest. If God don't tell him, I'll do what God tells me to do. But he didn't tell me to do anything. He just made me aware. Just needless to say, I went back to that church two years later. That woman had gotten mad, split the church, single-handedly split the church, had church scattered all over town. And guess what? She didn't care. She went down the road to the next place and probably wrecked havoc at the next place. You know, and once again, I'm thankful for discernment, right? I'm thankful that God will give me godly, keen discernment. And you know what I've learned? People are the same everywhere. People everywhere we go, the same. So I, I, I wanted to share this story, and I didn't want to get too far away from this little passage of Scripture. It said, in the night, they came under the covering of darkness. So, so what do you mean darkness? Well, I, I literally think it means nighttime, but it also comes with under the mise of, I'd like you to pray for this. <laughs> under a deception. I'd like you to pray about this. You know, and then, and then they sow a seed of discord. And see, once you hear that, you can't unhear that, right? So one, we had this, um, this lady who came to the church one time, and she'd been with us for a while. And hey, we've been, you know, we, we've got, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're getting close to 30 years of ministry, full-time ministry. Not just 30 years of ministry, 30 years of full-time ministry. I guess we've been in ministry for 30 years. And uh, in 30 years of ministry, we've seen a lot of stuff, okay? So I'm, I'll tell these stories these aren't things that happen every day, but over a course of time, we've seen some crazy stuff. This, this lady got upset, and uh, there were two things that happened the same night, and I, I won't, I, I don't, I can't share, I'm not going to share the second one. I'm just going to share one. I'll just give you, I'll allude to it, because it was so foul. But these people came in angry, and they threw pins in the altars, and they came in and they took decorations and stuff, and they were things that they had done in the church, but they were bitter over something. They never talked to me, never came and said anything, but in the night, they came and did it in the nighttime. And then I won't, I won't go into the terrible details, but somebody went downstairs and made one of the most horrible messes you could ever imagine. And again, I won't go into detail. I knew it, I knew it was demonic because of the mess, pastor, the mess downstairs let me know it was demonic. But uh, I called the person and said, if you were offended, why didn't you come talk to me? Well, I, you wouldn't listen. How do you know? You didn't even try. You know, the Bible says if you have an offense, you go to your brother. The Bible says if your brother has an offense, you go to your brother and talk to them, right? Now, I'm going to tell you it's very difficult to do that sometimes. But once you start letting that stuff in your spirit. Now, tonight we're talking about weeds. I, I just simply looked up what a tear was. <clears throat> First of all, you know, it looks like it's wheat, right? So sitting, in, sitting next to us in the church, setting our hearts and our minds, it looks like a good idea. You know, this, this greasy grace message that everybody's preaching, that you can't do any wrong, that everybody's just going to float up to heaven someday and everything's going to be wonderful. And uh, I've heard, uh, yeah, I, I'll just tell it, you know, uh, I, I listen to Oprah as she says, all roads lead to heaven, that every God is a God and all roads lead to heaven. I, I'm sorry, that's a lie. 
and it is a tear. And this is what happens when you eat that tear. People go to hell. Understand that? There is somebody out there that's eating that stuff up. That's all that they know. And they're not going to make it into heaven. I still believe that we should be holy. Do you fall short? You bet we do. Do we have a thought? Do we have an action, something going on? You know, I'm going to tell you, I had something going on in my life. And I thought, Lord, you know, if, if this is wrong, Lord, convict me of it. And he did. He worked it out of me because I want it worked out. You know what I'm saying? But when we get to a place where we are numb to the voice of the Holy Ghost, and when we accept a lifestyle, when we accept a way of living, that's when we become numb to the Holy Ghost. And we just, I can live how I want to live. I can do what I want to do. And that tear gets into our life. So you know there is no such thing as, as a weed killer, right? No such thing as a weed killer. You can't kill a weed. Now, you can kill it off for a season, but it's just going to grow back. What it is, it's called weed control. So there's no way to ever get rid of tares. We just really have to work and uh, work on uh, uh, working, uh, work on controlling those things as we see them come in and do our best to keep them out of our hearts and our spirit. Okay, so I want to talk to you three big lies that we, we'll call them tears. Three big lies that are being propagated upon the church. One of them is God doesn't heal. Let's see this all over. I, I can't tell you how many Pentecostal folk I hear. First of all, I, I, I can't tell you how many Pentecostal folk I've been in service with that weren't baptized in Pentecost. Don't know nothing about speaking in tongues. I was not long ago at a denominational church. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. One of, the, one of, my, one of my best revivals this year. Uh, the last night, would we have 25 people give their heart to Jesus. Three, for the very first time ever, spoke in tongues. I mean, that, that, I'm rejoicing over that. But some of these kids who are church kids, been in church their whole life, parents are pastoring the church and have never been baptized with the Holy Ghost. See, we got a problem in the church today. God, telling people God doesn't heal. Second, second lie, we don't need the Holy Ghost. And boy, we're trying to prove that because we're saying we can build churches without the power of God. So much so that a major denomination, precious pastor friend of mine was sitting there when this was said, got up and said, people, if you want your churches to grow, you're gonna have to get the Holy Spirit in a back room and let him move back there. Because if he does it out there, people aren't going to understand it, and they're going to get upset. And this what this what I this what just just irks me. Help me, help me, pray for me tonight. Y'all pray for me real good because I feel an honorary anointing coming out. But people will let their kids watch the most horrific, unbelievable, ungodly stuff you could ever imagine on a television, and not say a word. But you let somebody speak in tongues or fall out, all of a sudden we're worried about our kids getting scared and not wanting to come back to church. It is a lame excuse. That's all it is. Now, I'll tell you what, if we put a demand on the Holy Ghost and we put a demand on the anointing for God to move in our altars again in churches across America, we wouldn't have to worry about that because I would be more concerned about my kid watching Family Guy than I would be kids falling out and moving and operating in the altars. But it just seems for whatever reason, again, you know, call me religious, whatever you want. Uh, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Second is God can't prosper you. 
this mentality of you got to be broke. This is silliness. God does not want you broke. He wants you blessed. Just here a couple weeks ago, um, just, this year, I had the best revival I've ever had in my life. We had our best, pastor, our best revival in every way. Souls, blessings, miracles. 2017, I went to that area. A young man, God gave me a word of knowledge about plantar fasciitis. The young man had it for years. Um, God healed him in that service. Came to that revival, testified about it. I can't tell you the countless people God touched during that meeting. Best revival we've ever had. The whole time, the enemy was behind the scenes working against us. It didn't hurt the revival, but he was trying to hurt us. You know, that's trying to, uh, trying to steal, kill, trying to destroy. At the end of that revival, I was invited. I had two, had the largest meeting, local meeting that I'd ever had like this. We went to this church, and there, were, uh, there was standing room only. I'm the, I'm, we're talking a very large sanctuary. People everywhere. The church was already large. It was an area that I go to that God's been very good to us in. People lined up and down the hallways, sitting out in the, out in the hallways, Pastor. People up in the front. We had a move of God. Just one service. That Sunday morning, they had a pastor who was broken. And I called him and was just talking with him and said, Pastor, I'm going to be up in the area. Can we just come love on you? Can we just come be a blessing to you? So, you know, Brother Benny, you know, I don't know, I don't know, you know if we can do anything for you. I said, I didn't ask for anything. Can we just come love on you? Now, I want you to know, we went into that service, didn't ask for anything. Pastor, we blessed him with a good offering. We encouraged him, took him out for dinner, and just blessed him. See, when you're broke, you can't do those things. When you're, when you're trying, to make the, trying to make the ends meet, you know, for us, this past week, reaching 75,000 people in a foreign country that I've never put my foot on. You can't do those things if you're broke. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, the enemy's trying to tell you why he's telling you you can't prosper. There are people out there believing, but God can prosper us, right? And so then those people are going to go out and be able to do more for the kingdom than we could ever imagine. Listen, I, I, I don't care. Pastor, I don't care. I don't care if you get a jet, a helicopter, if you live in a mansion with a, with a 24-hour guard. I, I don't care. I want God to bless you. But you do that for pastor, I'll tell you what he's going to do. He don't need an armed guard. He don't need a helicopter. He don't need any of those things. He's going to win people to Jesus. And he's going to win more people to Jesus. I tell people everywhere I go, whatever comes in in an offering, it does not affect my lifestyle. It's just going to help me win more people to Jesus. Simple as that. We're going to get more TV time. We're going to go on more stations. We're going to go more places. We're going to travel more. We're just going to be able to do more for the kingdom of God. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And this idea God can't prosper you is just ridiculous. So today, tonight, I want to get into this just a little bit. And if you'll just give me about 20 minutes. I, I've already been preaching a long time, and I don't feel like I've said half of what I needed to say, but I want to talk to you about a tear. A tear is a weed. Let me read to you what, what, what a... Um, Merriam-Webster says about a tear. It's a weed of grain, especially in biblical times, that's usually held to be darnel. Of course, I didn't know what darnel was. Uh, darnel is a toxic weed. It is poison. And Jesus is likened unto what the enemy comes in and plants as poison. And poison will kill you. So tonight I want to talk to you about a tear and what tears do. And I want to talk to you about what happens when you eat tears. So somebody will say, how do I eat a tear? Let me just give you an example. So you've got a field full of wheat and your cattle gets out there in that field. They are not discerning the wheat from the tares, right? 
It's eating whatever comes in. And if it eats the wrong stuff, it's going to kill it. The same with the sheep, the same with anything else. It amazes me what these animals will eat. And so a, a weed produces far more seeds than, a, than wheat uh, or any other kind of fruit ever will. There are far more seeds that are in a tear than there are in any other kind of fruit that we would eat. And a weed is only sown once. But every year, you got to go out there and spray that, spray that weed control, right? We call it weed killer, but right, it don't kill anything. It just puts it off. I know at our property, three, four times a year, we've got to go out there and spray it to try and control, control the weeds. Weeds have an extensive root system. They go down deep and they hold on, and they don't want to let go. Weeds grow fast, really fast. This is, a, this is a big one. Weeds harbor and attract disease, and they hide poisonous insects. Weeds will release a toxic chemical that will kill other plants. The sixth thing, weeds inhibit a harvest, and they cause crop failure. If you don't control the weeds, if you don't, if you don't make sure we clean them out, it's going to kill a harvest. Look at this. Uh, this is awesome, you know. Deadly seeds produce beautiful flowers. Number eight, allergies are produced by weeds. Now, this is uh, uh, the last part of this message that I want to get into. And I want to talk about uh, sowing and reaping here at the end of this, but uh, I want to talk to you eight characteristics of someone who has eaten a tear. Now, the seed and the weed are so close that you can't tell the difference until the fruit comes out. So this is the problem we are making in the church. Um, and, you know, I have no, you know, I'm going to weigh my words. We have got this rock star mentality in the church. And we, we're looking for rock stars. Now, you know, I know they're carrying Bibles and they're preaching and they're singing, but we have that mentality. We are enamored with success. So if that's the case, then Jesus one day lost 70 of his 82 close followers. And he's down to 12. Of that 12, one of them was a devil. That leaves 11. And of those 11... Three of them he really felt close enough to tell secrets to. But when he died, there was only one of them that was anywhere near him at his death. So does that make him a success or does that make him a failure? Because if we measure success in the way that the world does, we would have called Jesus himself a failure. Because at the end of his life, there was only one person there that was with him other than his mom and Mary Magdalene. We know that. It was John who cried. And you know, it amazes me. The Bible says, if you'll give up your life for me, you'll gain it. Now, John was the only disciple, though he'd been boiled in oil and his eyes had been gouged out, he was the only disciple that died a natural death. And I believe that is because no matter what, he stayed close to Jesus. He was willing to lay down his whole life for Jesus. 
And so if we look, if we measure that, so what we've got is this, as long as it's popular, everybody wants the new cart. Oh, if I could preach for 20 minutes on the new cart. Everybody wants the new cart. We want to dress it up like the world. We want it to look like the world's cart. But at the end of the day, it's just another cart. We want that new revelation. We want that new message. We want that new, that hip thing, that thing that's popular, that draws people in. I want the truth. That's what I want. I want somebody that preaches it with a passion. I want somebody who is anointed that's been in a prayer closet. Listen, I love education. Nothing wrong with education. But we don't need 27 degrees behind our name to preach the gospel. What we need is times of prayer and fasting and seeking God. That's what we need. But that's not as pretty as skinny jeans and a leather jacket in the pulpit. Come on. It's the truth. Because that's what it seems like folks want today. They're eating tears. And you know what's sad? They don't know it. Because it takes a level of discernment to recognize the wheat from the tares. Now, if I was to come to you and I was to tell you Whitney Houston was maybe one of the most anointed people on the planet, you'd look at me like I'd lost my mind. Wouldn't you? But according to today's standards, she would be. Because everybody got goose pimples when she made uh, the Preacher's Wife soundtrack and saying, Jesus loves me. Everybody thought that was great. Um, everybody thought R. Kelly was great when he put out a gospel album. Now they're taking that money back now that he's going to jail. It's, it's ridiculous. You know why? Because they are looking at his gift. His gift and not his fruit. See, right now, this is my gift. Me preaching right now, this is my gift. But when I'm sitting in that restaurant and I go to tip that waiter or that waitress, then my fruit comes out. When somebody crosses me, gets out in front of me in traffic, that's when my fruit comes out. When, uh, uh, when, I'm, when I'm mad at my, my, my day's not going right and, and I, and I, and I say, could say the wrong thing to my spouse, that's my fruit coming out. Because your, your fruit is what you are when nobody's around. The Bible says a prophet's life's a lonely life. I understand that because I spend so much time alone in a hotel room. You know, um, so we've got to recognize the difference, and the difference comes when the fruit is produced. You ever had somebody in your life that you said, uh, I'm going to share this just real quick, and I'm going to move quickly through the rest of this. This, uh, this gentleman called me and wanted me, to come, wanted me to come preach for him, and really, I mean, put the pressure on me really pressed me, and I didn't feel it. Something wasn't right, Pastor. I just, I knew it. And I said, you, you know, and finally I just told him, I said, you know what, I'm just going to pray about it. If, if the Lord tells me it's okay, I'll call you. I said, but otherwise, I said, if you don't hear from me, then I'm just, it's not going to work out. Um, within three years, he was in prison. Now, I wouldn't have done anything wrong. You understand what I'm saying? And I, if God, if I would have went, God would have taken care of me. But I didn't want to associate with a person like that. There was a very large ministry that contacted us, wanted me to come, come be a part of their stuff. And uh, I, I, I sought counsel on it because it, that door would have opened up other doors. That would have opened up other doors. That would have opened up other doors. It, would have been, it was an honor just to be asked. But I had this feeling. And so because I had that feeling, I followed that feeling and Turned out to be right. That person ended up getting in some kind of trouble. And, uh, you know, everybody that was connected to him ended up getting in some kind of trouble. 
So God, once again, God protected me because I watched the fruit. Just because somebody can sing or preach, don't make them anointed. What makes them anointed is how they treat people. Listen, you can, you can be the best preacher on the planet, but if you're mean as a snake outside the pulpit, then that's not godly. Now, you know, candor, everybody might have a, you know, maybe you don't agree with somebody's candor. Okay, eight characteristics of someone who has eaten a tear. If you, this, is, this is factual. You can, uh, you can look this up. This is what happened to animals that gets into tears. Um, and uh, uh, I, I just thought this was awfully interesting because everything God does in the natural, it is paralleled in the spirit, right? It says, if you eat tares, you will become sleepy. Think about that. Think about sleepy in the kingdom of God. Too sleepy to do anything for the Lord. Just, you know, just, you know, I'm too tired. I don't want to win souls. I'm too tired. I don't want to go preach. There's not, in my world, there's not time to be tired. You know? Um, last October, I was in upstate New York. And I had to be in Louisville, Kentucky by 6 o'clock the next day. I mean, that's, there's no way. I had to close out that service. I had to get in my car. I was alone. I didn't have a driver that time. It just didn't work out. And I had to drive cross-country through the night. I pulled into Louisville, Kentucky about 5.30 in the afternoon. It's just what you do. We don't have time to be tired. You know, and I tell you, we drive, we fly, we take buses, we take trains, we get Ubers, we do whatever we do, you know. I'm just saying, sometimes that's, you just got to do what you got to do. That day I just had to do what I had to do. Um, a few years ago, I was in Des Moines, Iowa, and my next place was a Sunday morning in Arlington, and I, I had to drive through the night to make the meeting. Wasn't no, there was no plane. There was no way to catch it. You know, it was bad scheduling. I've worked those things out now, but I'm just telling you, you know, when God tells you to go, you're not like, well, how's the schedule? <laughs> you're just, we're going to go do what God wants us to do. We don't have time to be tired, right? Winning people for Jesus, we don't have time to be tired. We can't, we can't. That's why we can't let lies come into our spirits. That's why we can't let offenses. If you, if, if you don't hear anything else this preacher said tonight, hear this statement. Write it down. Plaster it to your mirror. Offense is the seedbed of demonic activity. Once we let an offense in, it will destroy us. Maybe not all at once, it will destroy us. If you eat tares, your mind can be controlled by another. Think about that. It will numb your mind. You think to yourself, um, there was, uh, I, I just recently watched a documentary on a, uh, some crazy religious movement. It was ridiculous. I'm not going to go into details. Crazy people believe in crazy stuff. And people eating it up. They were on Oprah and Ellen and you name it. And because they were on TV, everybody thought, well, it must be right. Because they're on a national platform. Because the media wouldn't deceive us, Right? And so, once again, if you eat tares, you, your mind can be controlled by another. Um, number three, you become intoxicated, so much so that you can't walk straight. These animals that, that have eaten tares and have a diet of tares, they literally become intoxicated, and they can't walk right. Eating tares will make it difficult for you to walk right in the Lord's. You have to be, so much so, number four, you have to be carried around. So eating tares will put you in a position where you have to be carried. 
Um, number five, your speech is hindered and you can't talk properly. Think about that. Now you don't, words are important to me. Very, very important to me. Now I've learned that my words are sometimes very important to others because I don't know when I'm going to say something that's under the power of the Holy Ghost that's going to touch somebody's heart, touch somebody's life, and me not have any idea of just being a vessel. I was in um, Cordell, Oklahoma, preaching to, it was a Saturday night. This um, precious couple had been there. I'd not met him before. She'd been coming to my meetings. She was a hairdresser, brings him in. God sends me to this young man. I'm going to tell you, he's just bitter and mad and offended, and he needs to repent. You know, just, that's just, this is where he is. God sends me to him, and I stood in front of him, and I don't know where it came from. I just said, son, what's your name? And he said, like, Jonathan, I don't remember his first name, and I, and I just said these words. I said, love it. Like, I liked his name. I love it. And he looked at me and said, sir, that's my last name. That had such an impact on him. That boy gave his heart, rededicated his life to the Lord, and got his light right from then till now. You never know. You, you got to make sure your words are right. Your words have got to line up with the word of God. But if you're eating tares, if you're believing a lie, you're not going to be able to do that. If, if you think you can't be healed because somebody came in and said, well, if it's God's will, if it's God's will, we hear people say things like, well, if God's will, Corona will take us out. It's craziness. If it's God's will, you know, these people will survive. The Bible says the enemy comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have abundant life. Jesus wants you to have abundant life. But if you don't talk like that, if you, listen, if you ever, you ever see me backslid, you see me in a bar, come get me. Drag me out. Preach to me. You ever see me high on drugs? Please, come get me. Pray for me. Give me delivered. Do something. Don't, don't leave me in there. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got to worry about that, but you don't help. Please help me. But if you ever hear me mully grubbing and talking down and talking bad and talking negative, I'm going to tell you, my heart's not right because that's not me. You won't ever hear me do that. I'm, we have been so poor, we couldn't pay attention. But my kids never knew it. Never knew it. We have been sick, so sick, but we would not acknowledge that sickness no matter what because we were going to have faith and God was going to heal us, and he always has. <clears throat> but if you've been believing a lie, it will stop that voice from making sense in your head. It'll hinder your speech. Number six, you enter to a, this is just a good word, you enter into a state of stupefaction. <laughs> Stupefaction. I like that word. For those of you who don't know, it just means overwhelmed. How many Christians do you hear say, I can't take this anymore? Quit eating tears. Quit believing lies. Get in the word of God. Learn it for yourself. You know, my greatest, the greatest messages God's ever given me have not come through my study time. Not through my study time at all. It comes through my daily Bible reading. I endeavor to read my Bible cover to cover every year. Go through it all the way every year. I mean, I might be a few days short here and there, but that's, my, that's not my study time. That is my daily Bible time. So like when I go into prayer and go into study for a few hours, 
you know, in the afternoons or whatever. That's not my Bible reading time. That's studying and meditating on the Word of God. When I'm, uh, um, um, when I'm in my, when I'm in my uh, vehicle going down the road and I, I've got an audible that I'm listening to, uh, a book that I'm listening to that um, encourages me, inspires me, builds me up on the anointing. That's not my, that's not my Bible reading time. That's my study time. You know, and the, but the greatest messages come from just reading the words. God speaks to me the most when I'm just reading his words. <clears throat> you become nearsighted and you can't see beyond your own circle. That's religion. That's what religion does. Keeps you nearsighted. You just see what's in front of you. This is the only way God can do it. God can't do it any other way. God don't want to do it any other way. And that brought us right back to religion. Religion, it's all the same. It's all the same. You can, put, you can dress it up any way you want, but when it comes out, it's my way or the highway, it's going to turn into religion. I, 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 will, I will stand for the rights of an unborn child. That's not, that's not a gray area to me. That one man, one woman thing, God really meant that. I, that's, that's something I'm going to stand on that. I love everybody. I, you, you named the people group. They come into my services. And I'm not, I don't try to be offensive to anyone, but I'm going to preach the truth. And if somebody doesn't like it, I love them, but I'm not going to eat tears. I'm not going to do it. I've seen too many people delivered, too many people set free. I had one time uh, back pastoring our first church. I started pastoring when I was 21 years old. We, uh, we bought a building in uh, Oxford, Indiana. We paid $30,000 for it. It needed some work. I bought it from an old Baptist group that kind of filtered out of the area and just left the building abandoned. We started having services up there. And the, uh, this, this, this man, I remember he, he only had three fingers on one hand. He had some kind of birth defect. He only had three fingers on one hand. Him and what I thought was his wife started coming to the services. He couldn't drive a car. Something was wrong with him where he couldn't drive a car. He made a car that he could drive. He went through and, you know, it made it like legal but not legal? That's crazy. Craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. You know, he had lived about 10, 15 minutes from the church to drive that thing down the old back roads, coming to the church. Ugliest thing you'd ever seen in your life. But he could drive it legally. And so one Friday night, I was doing a special service and started preaching on holiness and right living. And somehow, I don't even know how, I got, you know, if you're living together and you're not married, you got to stop that mess. And all of a sudden, that woman stands up, pastor, in the back of the church and starts screaming and cursing at me. I, I, I've been around long enough to see some stuff, you know. And I'm, uh, I am dumbfounded. I mean, I have no idea where this is coming from. And I just kept preaching, you know. You, you, I don't want to give voice to that. You know, so I just kept preaching. I figured if I, if I just ignored her, she'd go away. And she did. She sat down at the end of the service. I went up to her. She stuck her finger in my face. And she said, I tried that marriage thing. It didn't work. I ain't ever getting married again. Me and old boy over here has been living together for 20 years. And, uh, you know, of course, my thinking is, well, if you can get along for 20 years, you know, it's a pretty good shot it's going to work out, you know what I'm saying? She wouldn't hear of it, you know. God healed that woman. You know, God had healed that woman. That's what brought them in. They came to a special service. God healed her back and did a bunch of stuff for her. But uh, she became nearsighted. She couldn't see beyond where that was. She ate a tear, and she believed it. See, this is what the Bible says. This is the scariest thing in the Bible to me. Two, two verses that scare me. One of them, the Bible says that there will be those that cry, Lord, Lord, haven't I done all these great things in your name? 
He says, depart from me, worker of iniquity. I know you not. That's scary to me. Not for my own self, but it sure brings me into check. That's, a, that's, just, a, that's just a crazy thought. Then the Bible says that there will be those that hear the truth and they don't believe it. And then they will believe a lie and they will be damned. That's a scary verse. That's scary to think someone can believe a lie so strong that they think it's true and they think they're okay and they're not. They're deceived. Precious lady came into our lives in this past year. Her name's Melissa Reed. Pastor, if ever there was a, a miracle, Melissa Reed is a miracle. She's uh, from Hot Springs area. They built a church down the street from a strip club that she used to strip in. Uh, it's crazy. Her testimony is unbelievable. She was, she was I don't, I don't want to be insensitive or rude, but if you think of a person that's hooked on crack, that was her. She said her teeth had fallen out, her hair had fallen out. She said she didn't weigh 100 pounds soaking wet, skin and bones, and she said she would look in that mirror and think how beautiful she was and how seductive she was, and how sexy she was. She believed a lie. And the way she tells it, oh, you would not know it today. God has restored her, given her a beautiful family. Oh, my goodness, she's a miracle, you know, just a real miracle. But um, one of the greatest soul winners I've ever met. Oh, she went, oh, man, she just, she's radical, you know. That's what we need. But she looked at herself, and she thought, I'm okay I can sell myself, I can do these drugs, and I'm okay. That, that's an extreme case. But religion is just as ugly. It's just as ugly. Um, you, you will become nearsighted. And then the last thing is apathy. If there was ever anything in the church that we have got to overcome is Apathy. A lack of interest, unconcerned, unenthusiastic about it, doesn't affect me. There are three encounters that we need in the church today, and I'm, I'm going to change, change the order of this message with this. There's three things that we'll encounter in the church today. The poorer I am, the closer I am to God. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? That's silliness. We say things like, we shouldn't talk about money in church. We say things like, God will heal us if it's his will. These are things we have got to deal with in the church today. And we've got to overcome. And so tonight, Pastor, if we have some music that we could just go ahead and put on just kind of low for a minute. We'll change the order of the service here in just a moment. We need to, we need to tackle these things. We need to recognize that. We've got we to gotta talk about it. We've got to lay hands on the sick. The best way to show people healing is real is to get them healed. Best way to show the love of God is to show people the love of God. Express to them the love of God. Revival will take place in your seedbed of prejudice. What are you prejudiced against? What, what, what bothers you? What's something that, I guess, the only way I know to say it is, is you just want to flee from, is there a people group that you don't like for whatever reason? I've never understood prejudice, never in my life. I've never been prejudiced a day in my life.
I just love people. There's mentalities I can't stand, but I love people. But religion, I can't stand religion. I, I would rather be in a room full of sinners than a room full of religious folks. Because religious folks, you run the risk. I, 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 I grew up, we grew up in a very straight-laced Pentecostal church. And it gave me some good roots. It really did. It, it helped me get grounded, okay? But this is what we were taught. I'll never forget two statements. First one was my Sunday school teacher. We were said, well, how do we know if we're going to heaven? How do we know? And she said, well, what will happen is there's a big old scale. And all your good's on one side. All the stuff you've done wrong's on the other. And you just hope your good outweighs the bad. Isn't that ridiculous? It's a tear. It's religion. If we were saved by works, Jesus died in vain. And then, precious little woman, they used to pick me up and take me to church every Sunday. I'll never forget her saying, you know, you just don't know until you get there, do you? You just never know that you're going to heaven until you put your feet through the gates of glory, then you'll just know. That's not what God wants for us. God wants you healed. He wants you saved. He wants you set free. He wants you delivered. Sowing and reaping, the most powerful tool God gave us is the power to sow seed. Think about that. Every one of you are here because the seed of a man went into a womb of a woman, produced a seed. The corn that you eat, the beef that you eat, it all has to do with seed and ground. Seed and ground. It's not limited to the trees, to the grass, to the tomato plants. It's not limited to just agriculture. Everything that you do is a seed. I thought about this. And, uh, you know, Oral Roberts is the one who God gave the revelation of seed time and harvest to. And great revelation. I mean, just powerful revelation. His wife Evelyn came in and said, Oral, is it possible that money would be a seed? So to, tonight, if I take one of these chairs, and I take it out here and I plant it in the grass over here, Pastor, just dig a hole and bury it, it's not going to grow a chair tree, is it? Right? That'd be great, but it won't. That's just not how that works. But if I take that chair, if that's my chair and I take it, and I give it to somebody, I just sowed a seed, and I can get 30, 60, 100 fold on that seed. Understand that? It's the same with finances. When you sow into the kingdom of God, whatever you give, if you take that, you put it in the kingdom of God, put it out here in the ground, it's not going to do anything. I, I remember growing up as a kid, we had people in our neighborhood who buried money. They did. They had mason jars with money and buried them in their backyard. You know, there's always stories about it. Somebody burying money in a mason jar, you know. Um, it's not going to grow, right? But you take that same money, you put it in the kingdom of God, then you're going to get a harvest from that, right? So think, I want you to think of this thought. The kingdom of God is the only place that you can take an inanimate object, put it in the kingdom of God, and it'll grow. It's the only, only place in the world that that works is amongst believers. I, the reason I bring this up tonight is because my, my, my head's so full coming in here tonight. I've got so much that I'm wanting to share. God's been giving me revelations of the anointing. And I've been just studying the anointing, and I, I, you know, and I wanted to preach on that. And uh, God, gave me a, God gave me a message the other day on washed up. And I wanted to preach that. But for whatever reason, this is what God told me to share with you. And so, Pastor, I just wanted to share a share a testimony. Um, 
this young man I met in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, their church was looking for a building to meet in. Now, I don't remember their situation before that. I think they'd been meeting in a schoolhouse. They needed a church building. It, 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 it blows me away how God works. The man was driving through town, and God spoke to him and said, Stop right here. Dwayne DeBrouse is the gentleman's name. He said, Stop right here. He stopped in this old church building, went in a beautiful building, beautiful facility. Uh, I don't know what the church seated, you know, probably comfortably a couple hundred people. They had a, a building out back. He went in, and there was an old preacher in there sitting in the front row. Happened to be there that day. Church had been closed down for a long time, you know, nobody had been using it. He went in and started talking to the guy. He said, well, you know, we're looking for a place. He said, really? He said, you know, you, could we rent it? He went through and he talked with him. They talked a couple of times. And he came to him and he said, sir, we don't want to rent this building to you. We want to give it to you. They gave him that building free and clear. Now, you know, of course, you know, as a pastor, in my pastor years, dealing with mortgages and all the things that comes with that, that's not fun. But just like that, somebody gave them a church building. That, that, that thought was so fresh in my spirit. I have not, haven't preached for him in 10 years, pastor. Haven't heard from him. And out of the blue, I just I felt that in my spirit. That's why I'm believing that God's going to do for you guys. I believe God has the right place at the right time, at the right season. God's going to bring the right people to do it. And um, I, I really believe, go ahead and stand up on your feet tonight, and we'll, we'll start moving stuff around in just a minute. But I really believe tonight that the Lord wants me to pray over you wants me to pray over seeds that you have sown. Seeds that you have sown. Lord, I just love you, Lord. I praise you, God. Magnify you, Lord. Let's go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. If, if, if we could go ahead and just remain, let's go ahead and rearrange because I feel the Holy Ghost talking. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we just get by with moving out past the first row of chairs maybe or something. God. Lord, I just love you, Lord. I praise you.